Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, January 28th, 2022. Did you notice the two earthquakes last week at their routes, or? Nope, not at all. Jim, when I'm in a room, the earthquakes, let's just say that. People call me Mount Vesuvius for a reason, and uh, yeah. There's a reason that I can't live in Northridge, Jim. It's just it's too it's too combustible. So no, okay. I didn't I didn't feel these. I was probably asleep or I'm I don't know, walking the dog or something and when it happened, I don't know. Given the week you've just had, yes, you are in fact a big man at campus. You make things happen. I mean, just in the past five days or so, you've had two huge stories over at the rep. You unearthed the new release date for Luck, the first feature length film. For Skydance Animation, John Lasseter's new home studio. And then you were right in the middle of the Peter Dinklage Disney duking it out over the live-action Snow White thing. Yeah. By the way, folks, we'll do a deep dive on the Snow White stuff on the second half of today's show and, and Drew's role and how that broke. First, the news. And as always, the news portion of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Now, on an earlier Fine Tuning, people who actually listen to the show heard how startled we were, because I want to say right in the middle of the show, you Googled luck and found a February 18th release date, right? Yeah. And, and as far as we knew, it was still holding. So we were very confused. Yeah. We were recording this, I want to say, in either late December, early January. And again, you you live in L.A. where it's wall-to-wall billboards for whatever Apple or Netflix, you know, has coming yes. out. In this. And the fact that there is not, there was nothing out there for luck. Yeah. Skydance's debut feature for Apple Television Plus. And that just seemed screwy. So did you start poking at Skydance at that point? Or how did you, you get the I know info? Skydance, Skydance uh, gave me the kind of the heads up uh, mm-hmm. and said, you know, if you want to put this up first thing tomorrow, we're going to we're going to announce wh- when this is actually coming out. Mm-hmm. So I was ready. I had it. I had it ready to go the night before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might have regretted that decision, considering how much I went into John mm-hmm. Lasseter's uh painful past in the article but you know what i felt like any kind of color i can give to a what would have normally just been a news story mm-hmm. is helpful so yeah no great okay so this broke on january 26th this past wednesday and you got the new release date which is august 5th of this year not only that but you got this crazy detailed breakdown on the story did do, do you want to share or oh sure yeah so the story uh, centers around Sam Greenfield, who we've mm-hmm. we've heard about this character before as the unluckiest person in the world. Mm-hmm. And she discovers the never-before-seen Land of Luck, where she must unite the magical creatures there to turn her luck around. Mm-hmm. Eva Noblezada plays Sam mm-hmm. alongside Simon Pegg as a lucky mm-hmm. black cat named Bob. Whoopi mm-hmm. Goldberg as the captain, the head of security in the Land of Luck. Flula Borg as Jeff the Unicorn. Jane Fonda as the dragon, the CEO of Luck, which I believe was the Emma Thompson character before she left. I think you're right. And Lil Rel Howry, who we love as a flower shop owner owner where Mm. Sam gets her first job. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the big news, I thought, and that's why I 
spent much of my piece talking about this is that mm. John Ratzenberger is in this movie yes. as Rudy, mm-hmm. the mayor of bad luck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he is so closely associated with Pixar. Unfortunately, he's very closely associated with anti-vax uh, rhetoric right now. But, you know, it's just uh, it's really interesting that that Lasseter brought him over to Skydance Animation. Yeah, I mean, I think you pointed out in the story, you know, he is or was until just recently in every one of the Pixar films in sometimes largest roles, sometimes smallest roles. Not with Luca, though. No, and he wasn't in Soul either. Remember, he was he was like, I think they modeled a character after him, but his voice was not in Soul either. So, hmm, interesting. yeah. So again, uh, Luck debuts on uh, Apple TV Plus on August 5th. So, And you will, of course, let us know when the billboards <laughs> start to go up in L.A. And we hopefully we will get a trailer of some sort for that Peggy Holmes film soon. That said, we did get a teaser trailer for Guillermo del Toro's stop-motion musical version of Pinocchio. Only 53 seconds, but kind of cool, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of my most anticipated movies of the year, and I'm just happy we have a release date of mm-hmm. December, sometime in December. It'll, it might be December 29th, but that's okay. But it was just a little preview with Ewan McGregor's Cricket, mm-hmm. who is vi- not Jiminy Cricket, who actually lives in the wooden heart of Pinocchio. I had somebody explain to me how that worked, and it, it turns out that in the opening moments of the film, you will see Geppetto claim the piece of wood, go into the forest, cut down a tree, and this is the tree that Jiminy Cricket lives in. So when he's in the heart of Pinocchio, it's because he was in the tree that got carved into the little wooden boy. Interesting, because I've heard that Pinocchio was made out of the, the wood from the crucifix that Jesus was crucified on. Oh, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe that maybe things have changed, but that's that was at least one version of this. <laughs> Face it. This is also the the version that's supposedly set in fascist times. So yes, going to be interesting with to see what Guillermo does with this. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be exactly like the Robert Zemeckis version that's also coming out. Oh, well, there we go. Year. Absolutely, <laughs> could barely tell those two apart. <laughs> okay, speaking of, of teasers and trailers. There's a brand new clip for the Cuphead show. Yeah. Which has some pretty spectacular animation of the devil and his his assistant demons. I like that little bookkeeper demon. (laughs) What's great about the little bookkeeper demon isn't necessarily the the little bookkeeper demon. Do you see the the little fat assistant of the devil who is the bookkeeper is explaining why they can't do that? You know, it's making the the cut your throat just like, don't talk to it. Don't say that. (laughs) I mean, it's just some great, great character animation. Cannot wait for this show to drop that said something else worth seeking out you found also a trailer right there for the looney tunes valentine's extravaganza and by the way that's actually how it's spelled folks they drop the error they put in the w and that makes my inner elmer fudd very happy (laughs) what did you think of the, the teaser well, I mean, the animation looks amazing per mm-hmm. usual. Um, I'm, I hope it's like a good size, you know, like 30 or 45 minute long special. But it's, mm-hmm. I think, dropping this week, like the third. So, yeah, it looks great. Kind of intrigued to see that here's Warner Brothers animation actually leaning into the monster verse because there's a tease of a, a cartoon where it appears that bugs 
washes up on Monster Island, where he, he's being pursued by female King Kong and a female Godzilla. I love that they're doing that. There's no such thing as sacred cows over at Warner's, but that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. By the way, we have to check in. Did you go see Belle in the theater? I did not. I did oh, not. wow. I am pursuing it now as a video on demand, which I'm told it's going to be dropping there in the next two weeks or thereabouts, right? I haven't heard anything about that. I'm sure we'll get a beautiful Blu-ray from G-Kids and Shout Factory soon, I hope. But um, Okay. Yeah. Again, my mom turns 90 within the coming week or thereabouts, and there were family things to do. So uh, I understand. I just want I just remembered that before we went on. So I, yep. I wanted to ask, but I, I, again, I get it. Just the, the, everywhere I turn, everyone is still speaking in rapturous terms about this movie. And it's like, I haven't seen it yet. You know, <laughs> and, and speaking of things I haven't seen yet, we have the Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild, which debuted today. On Disney Plus. Kind of interesting. We were just talking about Godzilla and, and monsters because this one is set in the Ice Age film franchises. There's like the, the world at the center of the earth where the dinosaurs still live, right? Yeah. 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 I, I saw there's some new dinosaur characters being introduced in this one okay. as well. But a very Hotel Transylvania 4 thing, which is that none of the stars are back as their respective characters. So Didn't Simon Pegg come back as the voice of Buck? Or well, I'm they... talking about the actual Ice Age characters that people care about. You, you know, the yeah. the lion and the, the mammoth and the uh, sloth. So Dennis Leary, Ray Romano, and John Leguizamo not back. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, because again, remember, as part of the the press for this, they mentioned that, you know, they did have an Ice Age movie in the works and they did have a Rio movie in the works. And it'd be interesting to see if they come back for that. Yeah, a lot of unexplored territory in the Rio universe. I can't mm-hmm. wait to see. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I'm sure that, that Simon Pegg will do a great job as the voice of Bucket. Yes. Speaking of doing a great job, Jonathan Freeman, who was the voice of Jafar in Dizzy's Aladdin when the, an- the original animated feature arrived in theaters in December of 1992 was also part of the stage version of Disney's Aladdin. He, he took part in the pilot production of the show, which was presented at the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle back in the summer of 2011. Freeman then went on to play this villainous vizier when the stage version of Aladdin finally arrived in Broadway in February of 2014. And Jonathan has stayed with the show. He portrayed Jafar in the stage version of Disney's Aladdin on Broadway for nearly eight years. Barring, of course, that 18-month-long period where the production was shut down due to COVID from March of 2020 through September of 2021. Just this past Sunday, January 23rd, Freeman took his final bow as Jafar in the stage show. After the curtain call, they opened the curtains again, and the entire cast, including a lot of members of the show who'd left the cast, even Casey Nicola, the director of the show, came back to say goodbye to Jonathan, who, as part of the goodbye ceremony, Jonathan presented, you know, he actually said something to the effect, by the power vested in me by Mickey Mouse, handed off his cobra-shaped staff to Dennis Stowe, who will be the actor who's assuming the role of Jafar this past week. In fact, I think Tuesday night was his, his first performance, but 
Have you ever gotten a chance to interview Jonathan Freeman? No, I mean, he's had an amazing run on Broadway, too, especially on Broadway with things associated with Disney. He was in Mary Poppins, The Little Mermaid, and Beauty and the Beast, which is just amazing. He had a lengthy run also in Mel Brooks, the producer. I mean, he's been in 11 different Broadway productions at this point. He's 71 years old and certainly deserving of a break. So, you know, especially after nearly eight years in, in this show. But we hope to see him again in a, a, a new show, or at least doing some more stuff for Disney. And you know, I, I, I know you're waiting, folks. I know you're waiting for, for what we're going to talk about in Canto. I want to ask her, did you get to see the the Country Bear version of Encanto that, that showed up on yes. YouTube this week? Yes, I am not very, I'm not on TikTok, but people send me TikToks. So I feel like, yes. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Likewise, uh, Alejandro Alvarado's uh, amazing. He did, he's done this snippet of Bruno using flugelhorn and trumpet and literally sent him a note to the fact you have to do the whole song. You have, I mean, it's just the, he does the part, you know, is it, you know, your boyfriend's here and around that chunk. And it just, it raises the song to a whole different level. But I was wondering if you had also seen the online petition where people are uh, asking that it, you know, suggesting to Disney that it's time to shut down for the first time in forever, a frozen sing-along and replace that with an Encanto sing-along. I haven't seen this. I don't spend as much time on the WDW Magic forums as I used to <laughs> as a lad, Jim, but I'm glad that you are keeping up. But, I mean, that, that Frozen thing has been in there for forever. It, it has. For the summer of 2014, they did at the studio a, a summer-long thing called the Frozen Summer Fun Event. And as part of that, in the old premiere theater, you remember that, that one was kind of off in the corner in the streets of America? That's where they began presenting this quote-unquote temporary show, you know, the, the Frozen sing-along, in July of 2014. And it proved so popular, they eventually move it out of that location. Of course, one of the reasons they move it out of that location is they're getting ready to build Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. But they move it into the Hyperion Theater on the shores of Echo Lake, which is where the American Idol experience used to be. That version of the show opens in June of 2015. And after the park closed for COVID from March 13th to July 15th, the Frozen Singalong reopened at that park with some pandemic protocols in place in, in October of 2020. And it's been running since. They don't necessarily think that replacing the Frozen sing-along in the Hyperion Theater will get traction, but they did point out that there is an empty theater right next to uh, the Chinese theater, the, and that's where The Voyage of the Little Mermaid was presented. That opened to the park in January of 1992, and it also shut down in March of 2020 when that park reopened in, in July of that year. Uh, the Voyage of the Little Mermaid did not. In fact, it stayed closed, and people thought it was kind of significant in September of last year. The the wait time sign that had previously been outside of the theater disappeared one night. Can we talk about how that used to be, that that archway used to be the kind of point where you would re, you would go behind the scenes of movies, and that the rest of the park would be sort of in front of the camera, but mm. behind that arch was just 
actual production. It so was. that when Little Mermaid went in in 92, it kind mm. of people talk about how, you know, it's a for, a shell of its former park, which I agree with to a degree, mm. but you know, the original sort of intent of Disney MGM Studios had had already been eroded <laughs> when oh, yeah. Voyage of the Little Mermaid went back there, right? Yeah. When that park opened in May of 89, you can read all of the articles about Hollywood East, about how, you know, oh, Universal's going to make movies here and Disney's going to make television here. And and that just didn't happen. You know, I mean, you know, there were a few shows. Jim, fact, what are you saying about Thunder in Paradise? <laughs> I did watch that as a kid. <laughs> uh, what is the old Stadler and Waldorf joke? I've seen better film on teeth. <laughs> And the weird part of it is, is uh, there was quality stuff down done there. In fact, didn't Tom Hanks's production company do what from the Earth to the Moon? That that yeah, part, yeah. I mean, that there was ambitious stuff done there, but between trying to persuade a listers to travel to Florida to shoot things, and likewise the tech folks, I, it just it never happened the way it was supposed to. So, in a lot of ways, that you know, just we have this empty space and. We have people coming here who want to see th- see things, and if they can't see television or films being made, we got to give them shows. And yeah. which again brings us back to the Voyage of the Little Mermaid and this this now quote unquote temporarily closed theater. In fact, the reason they use the phrase temporarily is that the live action Little Mermaid that Disney has produced is due to arrive in theaters in May of two thousand twenty three and. From what my friends in entertainment were telling me, if that's a big enough hit, they might reimagine that show to feature some of the new Lemonwell Miranda songs that he's written for The Mermaid. But I think you pointed out something kind of crucial <laughs> when it comes to the, the live-action Disney stuff. And, and uh, please share your insight. Just that none of it ever makes it into the park. Like, these movies make a billion dollars, and they have no kind of footprint Mm -hmm. in the rest of the company at all. And I think that is just hilarious. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this—I'm very excited about this new Lion King that that Barry Mm -hmm. Jenkins is going to do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some very interesting projects. And obviously a new Lin-Manuel slash Alan Minken song or two is going to be really fun. But— Yeah, it's just amazing how, I don't know if that's a failure of sort of synergy or what, but it's really interesting. Last night, Nancy and I went out in the bitter, bitter cold to the Southern New Hampshire University Arena to see the Disney on Ice that's touring right now. And they did six different Disney films, Reader's Digest version, so I want to say. They did Beauty and the Beast, they did Tangled, uh, they did Coco, they did Moana. But what was interesting in the Beauty and the Beast segment is, you know, at the moment in the show where you think, okay, they're going to dance to the, the Beauty and the Beast song. And no, they dance to the How Do You Keep the Magic Going song. Do you remember the new Alan Macon what? song? they they played over the closing credits of the live action Beauty and the Beast. Uh, the no, one with I have no Ed- memory of this. <laughs> well, that, well that, you know, so that, you, you have to appreciate you watch an entire audience through the here's Belle in her yellow gown, and here's the Beast in his bloated, and they begin dancing to the song that nobody knows. And the entire audience did the dog head turn, like, you know, it's like, like. <laughs> 
you know, wait a minute, where's Tailless all the time? And it's like, how do you keep the magic going? And it was like, you know, so clearly somebody at the Feld Entertainment, it's like, throw them a synergistic bone. Okay, we'll use something from the live action Beauty and the Beast. But- I am now remembering why I didn't hear it, because the, at the screening in New York, they took yep. our phones, and I was so mad about it that mm. I raced out of the theater the second the credits rolled to try to get my phone back, because they were like, yeah, it was it was a nightmare. But anyway, so that's why I did not. I cannot believe that they put that in Disney on Ice. That's they crazy. Did. They did. There was it was an interesting evening. So evidently, the entertainment folks uh, to circle back to the Encanto thing, and, and obviously there's an appetite there to do something with the music. It's like we have this empty theater. Could we do yeah. what we did with the old Premier Theater, the, the the one that was out on Streets of America, and just put? Because remember, the single show was supposed to be temporary, just there for that summer. So the pressure really is on right now with Walt Disney World Entertainment. And part of that is because a lot of the stuff that they did for the 50th anniversary has been perceived as underwhelming. So they need a hit. That 50th anniversary just laid an egg in Central (sighs) Florida. Good Lord. I I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Not everything can be a figment popcorn bucket. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Here's the thing, though. If entertainment can't go into the Voyage of the Little Mermaid Theater, because that's supposedly being held for the show that may key off of the live-action one that arrives in theaters in May 2023, where do you then take in Canto? Where do you go with this? Which which park do you take it to? What about the um, Beauty and the Beast live thing at uh, Studios? <sighs> They've just spent big bucks bringing that back as well. I forget who was explaining this to me, but basically it breaks down to well, we can't pull that out. And it's like, well, why can't you? It's like, we're not fully through depreciation from a tax point of view. We haven't gotten all the value out of that show that we could, that if we pull it early, we screw up our tax status. That show has been in production since I was 18 months old. I don't understand. (laughs) It's supposedly so many of these things work on a 20 or 30 year depreciation schedule. I was just kind of shocked when I got clued into this. Wow. But. All right. Well, at the top of the show, we, we promised that, that Drew would, would talk about his involvement in the, the, the Peter Dinklage Snow White thing. And if you hang on for a moment, we'll, we'll get you right to that story. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back, though, you know who's not coming back? Who? Bob Iger. Oh. You saw that, that piece in the New York Times this week, right? The interview? I did. It was it was very interesting. Uh, there were I, a lot of little bits, but you had a specific bit that you wanted to talk about. The interviewer asked him at one point, you know, there's this rumors you're coming back as CEO. And Iger could not move fast enough to shut that down. No, nope, that's not true. I'm not going back. What are the tidbits leaped out at you? Oh, God, there was something that, that stood out to me, and now I cannot... Oh, about him him sort of talking about how he thinks that 
the theatrical experience is not dead, but it yeah. is. What did he say? It's like he's like it's mortally wounded, right. <laughs> and it might not heal. Yeah, um, which I agree with actually, mm-hmm. and I think going to theaters these days is sort of unpleasant. And I love the freedom and flexibility of being able to watch things at home, or or at least being given the option to watch things at home. So I thought that was really interesting and really insightful. I think that Iger has kind of a curiosity maybe that that mm-hmm. Chapek doesn't have. You know, he obviously is very portfolio driven, but as he said, he never based anything on sort of algorithms or data, mm-hmm. right? No, in fact, he he told uh, you know that the the great story basically about Black Panther, where if you if you came at it from a, a data point of view, you know, to the effect of a, a black superhero in a futuristic setting and. Just the numbers weren't there to support spending hundreds of millions of dollars making that movie. But Iger rolled the dice, and a billion-dollar franchise was created. Best Picture nomination, you know. Yeah, you know. So that's the thing with JPEG. And again, don't wish the guy ill, and he's only been on the job a month now. Yeah. But it's at the same time. It's just the stories that are coming out about he lives and dies by spreadsheets, and it just sort of like. Well, he's a former. He's like a, a chemist. He's a nerd. He mm-hmm. all he knows are numbers, you know. So I I sympathize to a degree, but obviously, you know, my my heart lies with with Michael Eisner and a an English major running the Walt Disney Company. Maybe it's just my mm. fantasy kind of playing out, you know, no. <laughs> as a fellow I mean, English major. <laughs> but, you know, but at the same time, remember that Eisner, he knew story. But yeah. at the same time, he came out of Paramount where it's like, there's still that famous story about when he arrived at Disney and his first command was like, Okay, what's your highest grossing live action film? Oh, that would be Mary Poppins. Okay, get a sequel to that in the works. And then it's like, and what's your highest grossing animated film? Well, that would be The Rescuers. Okay, get a sequel in the, the works for that. And Rescuers Down Hunter made it out the door within six years. Of, and, and again, given the, the animation development cycle, you get that. Whereas Mary Poppins, you know, uh, <laughs> Mary Poppins comes back. That didn't finally happen till what, the last two and three years of one? Yeah, Iger was running to the company. Yeah. yeah, 2018, I think. Yeah, so. Yeah, so these things take time. And yes. speaking of which, though, I, I'm kind of hoping that the Lunar Chronicles doesn't take all that much time to turn into a film. It's not necessarily going to be their follow-up to Ron's Gone Wrong, but it's it's something they're looking to, to make a film on? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think that this will take a very long time because... Mm-hmm. Obviously, they just have the rights to these books by Marissa Meyer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing about Locksmith is it's not an actual animation studio. Mm -hmm. They prep them and storyboard them there, but then they farm out the animation to a a third-party vendor. I think DNEG, which is about to actually go public. I don't know if you saw that, Jim. They're about to become publicly traded. But they did all the animation for Ron's Gone Wrong, which was wonderful animation, but who knows who is going to do the animation for this. It's kind of an interesting premise do you want to talk about what these books are marissa meyer's the lunar chronicles and it's a series of novels it started with cinder back in 2012 followed by scarlet 2013 chris in 2014 and finally winter in 2015 and the books are set in a futuristic world beset by a pandemic. Ooh, what that be like? Yeah. Where Earth and its former colony, Luna, exist in a state of unrest. 
First book follows a teenage cyborg called Cinder, based on Cinderella, and as the series continues, Cinder forms an alliance with Scarlet, a spaceship pilot, Chris, an imprisoned computer hacker, and Winter, a lunar princess, and together they must rise up against an evil queen. So that's a lot of story to do. I think we're not talking about a film. No. Given the size and scope of this, could this be... Locksmith may be eyeballing something to take to an Apple TV or a Netflix. Oh, yeah, that could be. I wish them well. Yeah. Although I wish Sarah Smith was still a part of the company. But Yeah, I know. Uh, speaking of work you enjoyed, you, you stumbled upon something uh, that you directed me to that uh, was charming and at the same time really important. Can you talk about this Madagascar A Little Wild episode? Yeah, I mean... Madagascar Little Wild, which is the kind of Muppet babies of the Mm. Madagascar world, we'll Mm -hmm. say, has these two characters that exclusively use American Sign Language, and they are acting out this American Sign Language in this really wonderful way. And I actually took ASL in high school, and I loved it. I think it's just so beautiful and expressive. And obviously, Jim, anytime I can be a ham... I do, and you you need those kind of exaggerated facial mm-hmm. expressions sometimes, which I love. Mm-hmm. But what I thought was really interesting, and there's a great video that we can we can point to that DreamWorks Animation put up. But mm-hmm. you know, it was really important that they had a a deaf character who's signing and a non-deaf character who mm-hmm. is signing to kind of show that you know you can still you can still hear and sign at the same time, and what that sort of means and. Um, I was just really kind of taken aback and moved by this kind of representation that we haven't really seen in animation and certainly not on a mainstream streaming show that that little kids can watch on Peacock or Hulu right now. I just thought the whole thing was just really, really powerful and and moving and just great. But did you ever manage to catch only murders in this building? Of course, Jim. Okay, so you know about Nathan Lane's character, the sandwich magnet, and his son, Theo. Yes. Variety recently did an interview with James Cavallari, the gentleman who played Theo, in the limited series for Hulu. And he was talking about the fact that Nathan Lane, evidently, when he, he landed this role, spent months training to do ASL. And James just talked about the fact that He came to the set prepped, and it being a fairly dynamic show, he would have practiced all of the lines and be cold on the set. But then, of course, they changed the script, and that Nathan was skilled enough with ASL at that point to sort of, okay, this is what I have to stay instead and and to practice. And he said it wasn't that he was just proficient with ASL. He actually was able to act as the character and do ASL. And that, in a way, sort of where you, you talk about the grand gestures and how poetic ASL can be at some times. And it just said that he made it look good. And it was just sort of like, I you know, was so thrilled to not only be acting with Nathan Lane in scenes, but to have him be good at what I do, how I live. There's been a lot of great um, representation recently, whether it's Hawkeye or Eternals, although Eternals makes an interesting, <laughs> there's an interesting case to be made for why they're using ASL if they are 7,000 years old. Maybe 
Maybe the the Eternals taught people in North America how to use ASL. Um, there we go. There we go. But uh, yeah, I mean, there, it's just it's it's all over the place, and it's such a wonderful thing that it's being included so frequently now. It's it's about time, I think. I agree. I agree. But this is an age where everybody has a seat at the table and is able to express their opinions. Which brings us to Peter Dinklage, who made an appearance on Mark Maron's W2EF podcast, an episode actually debuted this past Monday. And over the course of the conversation, Mark asked Peter about Disney's Snow White. And he really came after Disney. Do you want to read the quote or... Yeah, I mean, part of me wants to say the bad word to hear what sound effect Aaron will put in there, but I'll I'll, okay. I'll try to keep it game. Take a step back and look at what you're doing here. It makes no sense to me. You're progressive in one way, and you're still making that effing backward story about seven dwarfs living in a cave together. What the F are you doing, man? And he's okay. referring to... He's referring to the casting of Rachel Zegler as mm. Snow White, which is very progressive. It's true, having a, a Latina princess, but... Yeah, we we have to correct we have to correct Peter and say they don't live in a cave, they work in a cave, they live there in a cottage, go. but you know. But we're talking about Disney's Snow White remake, which has been in the works for a while now. And in fact, on the heels of Disney's very successful live action Cinderella, which arrived in theaters in February of 2015, this project was initially announced in October of the following year and it was going to use some of the songs from the original 1937 Disney animated film, but Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who wrote the songs for Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway, likewise songs for the movies La La Land and The Greatest Showman, they were hired to write music for this film. In March of 2017, you got to interview Sean Bailey, the, the president of motion picture production at Walt Disney Studios. You sat down with him for Vulture and did this absolutely killer piece about all of the live action versions of Disney animated films that the studio had in the works at that point. And the only time that Snow White comes up in this article is you describe the building you walked into to do this interview, which is of course the team Disney building where, which is being held up by the dwarves. Did Sean say anything about Snow now, White? Or? he didn't say anything then. I think it was still pretty new. Like you said, mm -hmm. October 20, 2016, that the word got out that mm -hmm. that Pasek and Paul were doing the songs, but mm -hmm. they also were working on Aladdin, I think, at the same time. They did there you go. That there you extra go. song, right? Um, mm -hmm. And he did talk a little bit about Aladdin. I will say that is a very good piece if you want to know the mindset of the mm -hmm kind of corporate engine that is producing these movies but yeah it's been they've been working on this for so long it six is years. crazy six years it was in may of 2019 we found out that mark webb uh, who, who directed the two uh andrew garfield spider-man movies for sony he was being uh, sought to direct uh, Snow White. Uh, likewise, Aaron Cressida Wilson, who wrote the screenplay for Girl on the Train, had been hired to write the script. I think she's been replaced, or oh, yeah. there have been more writers since, including, I think, Greta Gerwig. Yep. A lot of people have made a run at this <laughs> thing. Uh, so anyway, you, you were just mentioning Rachel Ziegler, who, again, Maria from the Spielberg, West Side Story. And then November of last year was the big get. Yeah. The Evil Queen, Gal Gadot. But from what I've seen in the trades, this was supposed to start shooting 
in March of 2020. I've just found one reference to that, which would have been, they would have been gearing up just as Hollywood was shutting down for COVID. But beyond that, it, it's now supposed to start shooting at some point in, in 2022. Yeah, it was supposed to, it's supposed to be shooting now, but I don't think it is. Um, mm-hmm. the, what I saw, uh, it was supposed to wrap this summer, but I don't know if it is actually shooting or if I was looking at outdated information. Although... Mm-hmm. I think I have correct information about one aspect of this story. They kept using the title, it's the live action reboot of Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But there's no mention of the dwarves casting or anything to that effect. So again, this Peter Dinklage story breaks. And here's this famed, you know, little person, you know, star of Game of Thrones. And clearly, if if somebody can speak with authority about dwarves being represented in a Disney film, it's Peter. So I have to ask, how did you reach out to Disney to get their side of the story? Who did you, you know, I mean, I I reached out. I reached out the day before and said, listen, this story is blowing up because mm -hmm. I was really the first one to write about the Peter Dinklage thing in America. And then everybody talked about it. So I said, this is really doing something. I also have this information which we will talk about in a second. Do you want to comment on that as well? So finally, a day later, they got back to me with this kind of canned answer that sort of alludes to what I was putting forward as well. Can you share the the canned answer, please? Sure. Uh, to avoid reinforcing stereotypes from the original animated film, we are taking a different approach with these seven characters and have been consulting with members of the dwarfism community. We look forward to sharing more as the film heads into production after a lengthy development period. It's not boilerplate, but it's damn near boilerplate. Yeah. But then you have other information about the project. Yes. So, as I wrote in the piece, instead of dwarves, Disney will fill the void with a group of what they describe as magical creatures, according to call sheets that the rap has seen. Mm -hmm. They are currently looking for voice actors to give these creatures personality. And even on the the casting sheet, it says magical creatures. And then underneath it says stand-ins for dwarves. I mean, that is how... (laughs) directly they are sort of lining these things up. So I wrote, it's unclear if they will inhabit the same roles as the dwarves. Will they be mining for jewels? Will they have names like Sleepy, Grumpy, and Bashful? Mm -hmm. But these magical creatures will be the substitutes for the original seven dwarves. So trying to give a little bit more info there that nobody else was reporting on. So hopefully that helped. No, it's hugely helpful. I mean, you know, the weird part of it is prior to this, if you talk to anybody at the studio, about when you announced Snow White back in October 2016, you know, what's going on? And it's like, well, you know, we're taking our time because we want to get the music right. Do you think they've identified this as a sensitivity or an issue that needs to be addressed recently? Or has this been kind of a day one thing? No, I actually, well, I mean, obviously the, the casting sheet I saw predates when Dinklage went out, you know, again, mm-hmm. out uh, and talking about this. So I think it has been there for a while. I think they mm-hmm. just... They love their surprises. I'm sure they're going to announce the cast. They're going to show concept art at D23 in a few mm-hmm. months. You know, they just, it's all very sort of premeditated, the rollout. But the, I mean, there has been a room in Team Disney mm-hmm. Burbank that has just been filled with art for two or three years at this point. Just, wow. this thing has just taken forever. In March of 2016, now this is a full six months before the studio announces 
that they've got a live-action reboot of Snow White in the Works. Disney announces that they have acquired the rights to Rose Red, which is based on Snow White and Rose Red, which is a fairy tale that's included in the Brothers Grimm's second collection of stories, which published originally published in 1815. Snow White and Rose Red is not a sequel to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which, by the way, was published in 1812 as part of the, the Brothers Grimm's first collection of fairy tales. It's an entirely different story with two sisters, Snow White and Rose Red, who live with their mother in a cottage in the forest. And if you read it, you realize right off the bat, it, it's basically a variation on Beauty and the Beast. It, at one point, there's a bear that shows up at the, the cottage in the middle of the night, in the middle of a fierce winter storm. It's looking for shelter. And the sisters and the mom allow the bear to come into the house and sleep by the fire. And and it winds up staying till spring. Meanwhile, there's this evil dwarf that lives in the forest that keeps threatening Snow White and Rose Red. And the bear eventually kills the dwarf, which now allows him to magically shed his bear skin and reveal that he is actually a handsome prince who was cursed by the evil dwarf. And a Rose Red script that Disney optioned back in March of 2016 basically abandons all of the elements of the original Brothers Grimm story, except for the fact that Snow White had a sister named Rose Red. And the new take on this tale, have you ever heard this term used before? A side quill, not a prequel. <laughs> Sadly, not a I have. Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. So can you explain? Because basically it's, it's like a story that goes on inside of the story that you already know right yeah or, it's like it's like Gil, rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead sort of it's a it's a story you know but told from 15 degrees away from how it's normally told that's it exactly okay so th- th- this is the story of rose red it starts literally after snow white has bitten the poison apple and fallen into a death-like sleep grumpy is the one who realizes that this is a powerful curse that the dwarves will need to do help, need help to break. So Grumpy leaves the other six dwarves behind to guard the little princess in her glass coffin as he goes off to find Rose Red, Snow White's sister. And together, Rose Red and Grumpy go off on this epic quest in an effort to find a cure for the curse. And I got to see coverage for this script back in 2016. And for those of you who don't know what what coverage is, it's basically, it's typically a one or two page synopsis, right, Drew? It's like a book report, yeah. Written by an idiot, usually. (laughs) Yes, yes. The idea is you take, you know, 120, 150 page script, you break it down to a couple of paragraph descriptions of the story. And what's also usually included is suggested casting. So the studio knows how to pursue. Anyway, uh, original script for Rose Road was written by a Justin Mers. Evan Doherty uh, then reworked that script. Disney liked this version. And what's kind of interesting is Doherty, she actually wrote the uh, Snow White and the Huntsman for Universal Oh. Which, was, which was released in June. So again, she was very familiar being in the Snow White sphere, so to speak, though. Do you remember how they handled the dwarves in that movie? Yeah. You think that they were digitally 
augmented, but I think they just they were just actors that they shrunk down. But it was like Ian McShane, Bob Hoskins, Ray oh, Winston. No, absolutely, yeah. But uh, wasn't it uh, wasn't Nick Frost? I think one of them. He was. He yeah. Was. Yeah, and it, it was one of these things where. The little people of America lodged a protest because, again, it, it was the notion of you're taking jobs away from actors who are actually this size. Right. To get back to the coverage now. And you have to remember, this, this is the spring of 2016. Game of Thrones is at its absolute height of popularity. This is the sixth season of the show. So I'm reading the coverage, and who does the studio or, or the person who put together the book report for the studio uh, <laughs> suggest for Rose Red, Snow White's sister? It, it's Amelia Clark, Daenerys, the mother of dragons from Game of Thrones. And who does this person recommend for the role of Grumpy, who is basically the male lead of this film? Peter Dinklage from the same show. So I find it fascinating that Peter, and what's interesting, Peter didn't really derail the dwarves being in Disney's live action Snow White, as you pointed no. out, you know, this has been in the works for a while, but did you see that there's a little person, Dylan Postal, he's actually an actor and a former WWE wrestler who really came out strongly against Peter Dinklage to the effect of, look, not all of us are Emmy-nominated actors. Some of us are just working stiffs who'd love a shot at being a little person at starring in a Disney film and don't take these jobs away from us at a time when there were few and far between. But again, that's not what Dinklage did. Disney had already was already headed down a different road with this, with these magical creatures. Yeah. But I was thrilled to see you in the middle of, of all this, that you knew who to reach out at Disney and to get them to say something. But yeah, I guess now, speaking of which, did you actually get your admission set up to the D23 Expo this year? or No, not yet. I mean, I don't know when press... I, I asked. I sort of asked Katie, "Do you want me to buy you mm -hmm. tickets?" And she was sort of like, "Nah, I think I'm all right." So, mm -hmm. <laughs> for someone going by themselves who isn't working and who doesn't have that kind of like premium mm -hmm. access, it can be kind of a pain in the ass. So I I totally understand that. So if I go, mm -hmm. you know, maybe she'll stay with the dog. Uh, okay. Whether or not we bring her is a question, but you know, so it, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. But I'm I'm excited about D23. I'm. It's been too long. It, I, it you better come been. out. You didn't even come out to the last one. Well, and uh, see, you know, the, the, I didn't want to assume, because <laughs> remember, you got to remember I work with Len now, and I'm off so many of Disney's Christmas card lists at this point. Though publishing still, still likes me. I just got a review copy of the new Jim Cora memoir. But no, I, I didn't want to assume that if I applied for press credentials, I would get them. So I actually sprang the three-day pass and, and nancy and i are, are, are both going to go out this year so we, we will be there we will hang right with listen does jim go to my wedding no is he going to be at d23 he is so okay. you know whatever i'm not i don't want to i don't want to make any assumptions here but i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad that uh sleepy and doc and grumpy will be taken care of <laughs> all right all right so totally changing Pivoting from well, you know that that if they shoot, if they start shooting this year, realistically, Snow White won't come out till 2024, right? They usually do a two year. Yeah, I don't know why they work on these things for so long. Sometimes you can feel it, like, oi, mm -hmm. they. You, this, 
They left the cookie dough in a little too long. It's a little crunchy. But, well, uh, that yeah. will not be the case, of course, with Mission Impossible 7 no. and Mission Impossible 8. Again, obviously, you have your wonderful Light Diffuse podcast that you do with Charles Lud. What do we got going on over there this week? Well, we've got a great guest who I can't talk about yet, but who is a department head on two different movies and will be a well-known to Disney fans. Uh mm-hmm. N- new and old alike, but uh, so I can, I'll, maybe next by next week I can talk about who we got. But he was absolutely fantastic, and we're just we're just trying to keep the lights going, Jim. I mean, these movies are pushed out now to an- another year, so hopefully, we'll, <laughs> hopefully we'll be doing some Maverick stuff soon, just to have something to do. But yeah, we oh, we will keep so. the fuse lit until twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. Don't you worry about that. Can you tell folks how they can find you on social media? Yeah, uh, Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, you can find me every day at The Wrap, writing stories, including a, I just put up an, an Eternals uh, piece that you should look at for uh, your chat with Aaron. I was very disappointed you didn't bring up my interview with the writers of Spider-Man No Way Home a couple of weeks ago, but oh. you know, I'm getting over that disappointment. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll fix that in the next show. Um, <laughs> all right. And for us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jimmy Hill Media and over on Facebook at Jimmy Hill Media News. And I guess that's going to do it for this week. But like I said, you know, if you, you want to stay on top of what's going on in animation, pay attention to what Drew's up to over in the wrap. And uh, we will be back with our brand new episode this time till next week. So till then, take care. <laughs>